0: you were capable of so much more than you realize i never in a million years would have dreamed i could have become a doctor and then when i got into medicine i was like oh i'll do general practice then i was like oh maybe i could do specialist training and i've realized actually i'm capable of anything it's just how much effort and hard work i'm prepared to put in
1: Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of HPG Engage. It is my pleasure today to have Dr. Izzy Smith, a medical doctor specializing in, in endocrinology. How are you today?
0: Good pronunciation. Duane, Thank you. I was first. nervous. I was nervous
1: about <laughs> that one. I jumped onto YouTube just to make oh, sure no I Oh, right. no, right. I hear a lot
0: of like endocrinology <laughs> and weird words an, out pronunciation. It's a very <laughs> old word to like, to
1: read initially. So, um... Yeah, I jumped onto YouTube was like, let me make sure I get this right first go because it will not look well.
0: No, well done. And
1: I just eyed myself there straight <laughs> away. <laughs>
0: um, and, and to answer your question, I am well. I have a day off and yeah. it is pouring with rain in Sydney, but a day off always makes me happy. Perfect. And I'm here with you recording a podcast, so I that's love always it. a thank, good start. thank
1: you for uh, using your day off to record this. We obviously tried to do this um, maybe a year ago, but... Life. What can I say? It's yeah. been a <laughs> busy uh, year, Registrar Live. Yeah. The Registrar Live does uh, does not allow for much flexibility with time. Um, but again, thank you very much for sitting down with me. Um, just to start off, I like to just get people's, like, I guess, their Instagrams or how people can reach you right at the start so that we can get it out of the way because sometimes I end up forgetting. So before we get into it, um, just to touch near your Instagram page, it's you have a good following on that. And you like to share a lot of great information, medical information on that. So can you just give us how people can reach you sure. on that? Um, I'm internally platforms. cringing because it
0: makes me feel like I'm trying to be an influencer. I'm and being like, this VR, is my handle. She is, she is,
1: she is. <laughs> I'm not. I'm a doctor
0: who <laughs> likes to influence. <laughs> um, it is Dr. Izzy, spelt with a Z, K Smith. And yeah, I made my Instagram because I was so fed up and frustrated with just absolute bullshit information from real influencers mm-hmm. <laughs> um about you know balancing hormones and just incorrect stuff so i was like what's a platform that you people can, can you yeah. know feel like is safe you know reliable information but yeah it's dr izzy k smith
1: perfect um, so as i've said um dr izzy smith is a medical doctor a registrar and um, working in endocrinology and um, so let's just take it back to the start Give a little bit about your background. What made you actually decide to study medicine, and also what university did you attend?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I am from Tasmania. I didn't have any doctors in the family, so I never, in a million years, dreamed I could be a doctor. Um, but I somehow managed to pull off a really good grade twelve score, and I actually—I was always really, really sporty and thought I'd be a physio. And then I got a bit sick when I was eighteen after finishing grade twelve. I got an autoimmune kidney problem which sucked but it meant I had exposure to the healthcare system for the first time and I had some really wonderful experiences and then some I guess less wonderful experiences and that was a real insight into the patient experience for me and also made me more interested in biology and science Mm -hmm. so yeah and I somehow got into University of Tasmania despite my crappy UMAT school (laughs) and I have changed my dreams a few different times I Went into, I graduated and did physician training, which if anyone listened to, that's any ology. So cardiology, gastroenterology, endocrinology, as you pronounce so well before. Yes. And initially I wanted to do hematology, which is blood cancer stuff, but it was having a really negative impact on my mental health and mood just because of how sad it was. Yeah. You know, Lots of death and dying. And then I thought about respiratory then I thought maybe sports medicine and then I had this eureka moment of endocrinology that I could work as a physician but also work with athletes um, as that is quite linked so people who might have diabetes can you know be playing sport and female athletes and also I realized I'm way more passionate about preventing health complications than treating them so it's much more exciting to prevent the person needing the kidney transplant Managing their diabetes better than you know doing the kidney transplant. So yeah, that's how I got into endocrinology, and I'm in my last year of specialist training. So I will be a consultant in 2024. Thank goodness.
1: That <laughs> is that is exciting. And just to just to clarify, how many years have you been have you been doing have you been working in hospital as a registrar? Um, yeah. In en- yep. Endocrinology.
0: <laughs> so I graduated from University of Tasmania in 2014, and. This is my ninth year of working. I did take one locum year. And this year is my fourth year of advanced training. So I've been a registrar for four years
1: now. Okay. That is that's a lot of studying. So altogether, it'll probably be maybe 10 years or so. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: nine years nine from years. graduation and then the five years of uni. So, And then you never stop learning. You're still always True. studying. Um, but hopefully a little bit less intense.
1: Um, So we're obviously uh, a recruitment company in the healthcare space. So it's always interesting to hear about people's journey from, I guess, from high school, figuring out what they want to do, university, and then for you obviously finishing university and then going to like medical school and carrying on through your registrar for the last four years. But what has, been like, what has been the journey um, throughout that time been like for you? And um, can you just give us a quick insight into
0: If I could explain it in one word, it would be a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. I, as I said, I never expected I would get into medicine. And I also, when I did, I had no idea how challenging it would be, in honesty. I think we see, you know, being a doctor and we get you know, blinded by the excitement of having the letters DR in front of our name without Mm. any real understanding of the sacrifices that are involved. I have had multiple career changes and that's been hard of, you know, when you need to change direction, but ultimately led to where I am now. But there's been some really hard points where, you know, in honesty, my mental health has been really impacted, I would say, from doing medicine, Um, but lots of good points too. So definitely... You know those cliche drawings when they say
1: success isn't a straight line. It's
0: this squiggly, giggly line. I think that would be my journey.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine. If you had to give someone some advice about, I guess, doing what you've done, I guess, quickly, what would you say to, I guess, someone who's an intern, maybe just just starting now, what would you say to them?
0: I would say you don't need to rush. I think in medicine, there's this culture of getting through your training and knowing what you want to do. And you almost feel like there's something wrong with you if you want to have a break. I took a locum year after my physician exams and that was the best decision I could have ever made. I think sometimes we need thinking space and you can't really have the time to properly reflect and think when you're working as a doctor because often you're just so busy. So my advice to an intern would be think about... What don't rush into choosing a specialty? It's okay to take breaks. And also, if you're struggling at times, know it's really normal. I think the majority of people in medicine will ultimately, almost everyone will have some really low points. And it's almost a matter of when, not if. Yeah. And know that there's nothing wrong with you when that happens and having a good support network and keeping up your hobbies and your friends outside of work because. Ultimately, medicine is just a job and it's not going to be there for you if you, you know, can't work because of illness or something else. And those other parts in your life are so important for, you know, your sustainability in your career because the person who's most successful in medicine in very classic, in inverted commas, success – they're not going to be the people necessarily that did everything by the time they were 35. It's the people that stay in it the longest. And yes. that's about looking after yourself and the sustainability. sustainability. Kind of exactly.
1: Um, you said that you were happy you did a year of locum in between. Um, is that not a normal thing for someone to do? Or would people just go all the way through? Or Yeah, a lot yeah. of
0: people go all the way through. So... You know, they go into grade 12, straight into medicine, straight through specialist training, straight to their PhD. Yeah. And it means it's not till they're 35 that they've ever had any agency over their own life yeah. and a break. Um, so yeah, I took a locum year and I got mixed encouragement from my seniors at the time. I had just finished my basic physician exams, which I like these exams you do on your fourth year out or fifth year out. And it's... Years of study, really stressful, high failure rate. And I had no idea what specialty I wanted to do. And I was yeah. really lost. I just had a really tough time in my personal and professional life. I've been working in the country. And some people said, oh, don't take a year off. You know, if you get onto a, a training program, just you know, just take the spot. Mm. And I remember sitting in a job interview for respiratory medicine being like, I just do not want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> like I was sitting yeah. outside St. Vincent's in the garden being like, what am i doing i I don't want to do this at all and i took a locum year and i felt like i had time to actually grow as a person outside of medicine and that actually helped me think about my values and what aligned with my values professionally and that's how i realized i wanted to do endocrinology
1: amazing i think sometimes it's important for people to kind of take a step back because especially in a in a career and a job like medicine it's so um it's so competitive And like you said, people feel as if they need to make it all the way through quickly or else they're going to be 10 steps back of their their counterparts, especially people who are within the same year as you. But again, it takes someone um, with a certain mindset to look after their own mental health first and think, I actually do need a break because if I'm not able to bring my best self to this job, then the patients um, are going to probably suffer at some point.
0: And even, and I'm going to, and this is a bugbear of mine. In medicine, often we talk about our own mental health as, you know, you need to look after your own mental health so you can be a better doctor. Mm. I'm also like, oh, fuck this. Yeah. Maybe I can just look after my mental health for myself. because I don't want to be miserable <laughs> yeah. all the time. It doesn't <laughs> always have to be this, like, so altruistic, I'll be better at caring for others because, yeah. you know, we're people too. But, no, you're 100% right. And also, I think medicine... It's so hard for it not to become your identity. You know, I have been essentially studying medicine since I was 18 and in some ways even before that when I was doing chemistry, physics, biology, everything at school. So it is hard to not become your complete identity and I think that is in some ways okay, but just knowing... You know, it's a vulnerable place to be if your whole life is medicine because work's not always gonna go well and that's why I love running True. and I have other things. So if work's active. not going as well, I can fall back on those other yeah, stuff.
1: Exactly. Um so now you have been working in hospitals all over, you mentioned to me. And what's what's been the it's, what has been the experience been like for you working in hospitals? Because where where are you currently? What hospital is it? At are you St in? Vincent's You're at St Vincent's in okay.
0: Sydney and moving to RPA in uh, inner west. In about a month
1: yeah and what has the experience been like I guess whenever you first started in the hospital compared to I guess now obviously with your the years of experience you have
0: it's always a bit overwhelming starting somewhere new yeah you have to learn new IT programs you have to learn the names of everyone where the radiology department is so anyone who's junior listening to this know it's very normal to be overwhelmed when you start a new job um, I think it's definitely been interesting for me seeing how much culture varies from hospital to hospital and how that comes from the top down. Uh, The culture at St. Vincent's is incredible and you see the heads of department be very supportive and friendly to the other consultants, they're Mm. friendly to the registrars, that flows down to the junior doctors and then it ultimately impacts how we treat patients because if we're really nice to everyone at work, it would be completely out of character then to be rude to patients whereas I won't mention the hospital. But I have worked somewhere previously that was notorious for a bad culture. And I really saw how that flowed all the way down to patient care. So it's been interesting for me seeing that. Also seeing how healthcare differs rurally versus in urban areas and even within the same city. Mm. I worked at Monash Hospital and Alfred Hospital in Melbourne and at times it really blew my mind how they were only fifteen kilometers apart, but I felt you They know, were so different. There was it yeah. was very different. And then, you know, working rurally when, and that was quite challenging for me. I come from a family that are farming background and all really rural. And seeing that essentially there were people who were in the country and I felt like maybe if it, they'd been in the city, their healthcare would have been different and their outcomes would have been different. Sure. And, you know, that for me morally is quite hard to grapple with.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I feel, cause obviously, you know, this, put as to become a, like a GP or doctor here, you have to do a stent. Out in rural um, australia which i think is such an important um, thing that the government has actually put into place because like you said there is a lack of health care um, out there for people just basic stuff like we've we've done a yeah. podcast with a dentist as well and he mm. went out and done stuff in the rural areas and he said the, the discrepancy between oh, the care between just trying to city, get into a gp in the country into, it's just it's in, yeah it's insane. let alone
0: a bulk billing gp it's yeah and i find it interesting because there's these massive shortages of rural doctors and you know we never give like students never do gp placements or as a host no they do sorry anyway my another bugbear is that they always saying we need to get more people doing gp but as junior doctors we don't have that opportunity so you need to really take a leap of faith i didn't know that yeah so you can do like, a rot- like you don't get to do rotations in general practice. Very, very rarely some places do, but generally it means that you've got to take this massive leap of faith of having worked in the hospitals your whole time and then, and then an going to general yeah. practice. And I know my personality, like the medicine is interesting, but more I like the people interactions. And yeah, I probably sure. would have loved being a GP, but that was just too much of a risk because I'd never actually got to experience yeah. it. But yeah, it's a really big problem with you know, general practice in general and then especially in the rural areas of you know, accessing medical care.
1: That is, um, I didn't didn't know that. Well, there you go, learned something new today. <laughs> this is why we do the podcast.
0: <laughs> Hopefully, we, we can talk some other endocrinology facts.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to touch because you obviously you're now working in endocrinology. And um, what do you remember? What at what point within your career progression that you decided that this was there a particular? I get this
0: asked this question a bit, and yeah. I think I'm trying to remember it. One of my friends. Who loves kind of, you know, Tony Robbins and yeah. uh, mentoring? I've been completely lost. And he sat down with me and he gave me this advice of like, he works in allied health. What type of patients do you want to see? What kind of problems do you want to solve? What do you want your day to look like? And I think that made me realize I wanted to focus on keeping people well and I wanted to work with young people. I also was working, I did a stint in Catherine in Northern Territory and I saw so many young people on dialysis or with end stage heart failure due to poorly controlled type 2 diabetes oh, you yeah. know indigenous people and it made me think fuck they're like if we manage this diabetes better we can prevent all of these complications so i don't know if there was a one eureka moment there might have been mm. but it was you know but yeah it was this gradual i think thinking about my values problems i like solving and also taking time I think sometimes we feel like we need to make a decision about our life or career Mm -hmm. and we need to acknowledge sometimes it's just going to take life experiences to happen so we you know so we learn what we want to do and that was that locum year for me
1: it's very much like serendipitous to to a degree where a lot of us may Think we know exactly what we want to do? I know for me, when I was in high school, I had this version of how my life was going to go. Are you going to be a
0: professional soccer player? <laughs> <laughs> I've
1: got bad knees now. <laughs> I knew that wasn't going to happen from like sixteen. My knees were just horrible. But you, when you're younger, you have this idea because you're so ignorant to the world. You're so ignorant. To and of course you, you are. You're like there. fifteen. Yeah, you it's insane. No we
0: expect young yeah. people to know. I'm still working out what I want to do. Let,
1: let, mm-hmm. I'm still. Honestly, (laughs) I just turned 30 and I'm also like that. Like You're always going back and forth about what the potential are. I think that's
0: modern day society as well. We don't do the same career for 40 years, thank goodness, Mm because I would get so bored. And yeah, I think it's really good to encourage people that, you know, you are going to change, and your goals are going to change, and that's normal because the goals that were right for you when you were seventeen are going to be completely different, different to course. what is right for you at. You're young. You're only thirty. I turned thirty-two the other day. <laughs> My God, I'm so old. <laughs> Thank God for Botox. <laughs> um, the, but yeah, your goals, you know, goals and what rights for you changes your life and you grow 100%. as a person.
1: And I'm um, touching, and I guess uh, young people. What do you think are probably because you've obviously been um, working as a doctor for a good amount of years. Now, what do you think are probably some of the challenges we're in 2023 leading in 2023 that young aspiring doctors are going to probably be having? <sighs>
0: so, one very very competitive uh to get onto training programs. So, that's something and it means because it is so competitive you're never going and it shouldn't be like this, but it is. You're never going to complain about unfair working conditions because if you complain, you won't get a good reference from your senior and True. you're dependent on that referee to get you onto a training program. Yeah. So it's this perfect re- recipe for extortion that junior doctors can be overworked um, you know, and feel like they can't do anything about it. And then because there's this also pretty toxic culture in medicine of – not wanting to show weakness or vulnerability or like you're not coping as if that's a personal failure. When in reality, we know 20% of doctors get depressed. One in 10 have suicide ideation. So it's not like it's an individual problem. It's a system issue, but we feel like we can't speak up and that like the cultures are slowly changing. We've got, you know, crazy socks for doc's day, which, uh, hospital execs now, you know, do this crazy socks for Docs Day and it's like they've ticked off their box of we care about junior doctor well <laughs> <laughs> It's like, are you okay day? Like, yeah. uh, what happens if I say no? Um, so I think mental health and the competitive career, how competitive it is and now it's expected to do research. So not only are you working full-time, not only are you studying for specialist exams or you also are having to do research on top of, you know, your normal job and try and maintain some type of, you know, health and social life. So there's, a you know, there's a lot. Um, other pressures. I think as well, workplaces are changing and it is tough when everyone else has work flexibility and they can work from home a couple of days it's from a week. They can take Looking their dog into the empty. office. <laughs> I know. And it's, you know, it's a shame that medicine has no, that. none of that. Yeah. You know, people working part time and, you know, I don't have children, but for people who are mothers or fathers with small children, there's pretty much no work flexibility in your training to work part time. So, and I think medicine is like 20 years behind much, most other industries. And I think in part it's because of this arrogance of like, well, we don't need to follow, you know, these exactly. woke, you know, these woke new, you know, working conditions because exactly. we're medicine, we're saving lives. And that's a real problem. And I,
1: we, I'm always curious because obviously when you have doctors and nurses working the front line, they're so overworked. But then people say that getting into these training programs is so competitive. But they're obviously so competitive because there's so many people trying to get in, but there's not enough spaces. Mm. In my ignorant head, who's not it's there? Not, it's like, I don't
0: think it's ignorant. I reckon you're gonna get onto a good I'm point. Just like,
1: why are we struggling when there's so many people trying to get in there? I don't understand yeah. the it's, correlation yeah, between that.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, no, you're really right. And there's such a shortage of like specialists, rurally. Yeah. That but there's so many people like, that want to, to do, do the to be- Yeah, I think you you know one argument you could say they keep it like ophthalmology or dermatology. If they make it not many specialists, that means people can keep charging a lot of money right. to see them. But I think it is a little bit more complex than that because there is actually a lot of specialists, but it's the public hospital systems that mean you get fifteen minutes with a appointment with a specialist and you can see them every six months. Yeah. And there's a lot of people in private but that is uh, really expensive, expensive and yeah. not possible for a lot of people and it's hard because, you know, sometimes as well as doctors I feel like there's this responsibility of us to be completely altruistic but you know, and bulk pill people privately, but then we would learn, you know, a really crappy salary and it's pretty hard to justify studying for 15, 20 years when you could then go and work for a pharmaceutical consulting company and earn twice the amount of money and I think Doctors, there's this culture of not caring about money, almost as if that makes you like you're not a real team player and into it for the right reasons. And I think it, that comes back to this expectation of doctors being these altruistic, superhuman people.
1: That,
0: um, And I don't like that because obviously we are all altruistic. We wouldn't have done medicine if it wasn't for the fact we cared about people. But um, you still want to get paid for what you're yeah, doing and yeah. for the
1: time and yeah. money that you've put in yourself. Yeah, to yeah. yeah there's, but, a, there's a good balance that needs to be had, I think.
0: And I think that's an issue with like, NHS that everyone's just leaving because, you know, they get paid terribly, terrible conditions. But you're right. I don't know the exact perfect answer for why it's so competitive when it seems like there's a shortage of healthcare. But I also think it's the healthcare system in, you know, lack of money and funding spent on primary healthcare and prevention because it's a lot easier as a politician to say, we cut elective surgery lists by this amount a lot easier to do that rather than like we put this amount of money into public health prevention and we've potentially saved you know a thousand lives because you don't know you can't exactly
1: it's hard to like Give back some qualitative yeah. um, statistics, pretty much.
0: So, but yeah, no, it's a good question. And I don't have the perfect answer. That's okay. You don't need to.
1: <laughs> um, I touched on the front line and how a lot of the doctors and, and nurses are always completely overrun with the work. But um, you obviously, as a registrar, have been working in hospitals for the past few years, number of years. And and you worked there t- through one of the most trying times that anyone that currently lives on this planet has ever experienced, um, COVID. Um. How was that for you? Because obviously from the outside and we, we only know so much. We only see what they tell us on on the news and we only see what we see on social media. Um, and I obviously follow you on social media. So I was seeing your posts about you had your mask on for days and it started to scar your skin and stuff like that. What what was that experience like for you trying to navigate, navigate that?
0: Yeah, so I guess the first thing I would say was as doctors, we felt it was just as new and unfamiliar and potentially scary for us as it was for everyone else. And I think sometimes people looked at local doctors as if we had the answers when Mm. it was just as new to us. We hadn't been studying COVID through medical school, Um, but I was actually doing a general medicine year and working in general medicine and in the ICU at that point. And so one, it was unfamiliar and scary. Um, Then, when I was in Canberra working in endocrinology. So I wasn't as much on the front line then. I was doing cover shifts and Mm -hmm. helping out general medicine. But I think the best way, it was just so draining. And that sounds silly, but wearing PPE and a N95 mask and goggles all day is just exhausting. And, you know, it's hard to take your mask off so you don't drink any water. I'd realize I'd do... I do my, like, 13-hour days on the weekend and be like, I only went to the toilet once to do a week because I haven't drank drank any any water water, because it's just too hard to take off the mask and PPE. But I'm not an emergency department doctor. I am not an ICU doctor. So I can't really say I was completely there, you know, on the front line as much as those types of specialties. But it was exhausting, scary, and then seeing people make – fun or take away the seriousness or the benefits of public health intervention just felt kind of a little bit soul destroying Mm. we were going off to work every day and seeing people put up signs like it's your right not to wear a mask in the supermarket it's like for fuck's sake you selfish piece of shit (laughs) like you can't be bothered to wear a mask at the supermarket and then there's you know nurses and doctors wearing ppe all day all day and you know and people are still dying and you know i had someone a while ago you know and it's obviously there's you know, I won't go on to vaccine stuff, but, you know, still having people who are elderly with health factors, not vaccinated and dying of COVID. And you do wonder, like, could you have been, You would you have not died if you'd been vaccinated? Yeah. Um, and COVID is still going around. I'm working at St. Vincent's and in the transplant department. And so, yeah, COVID is still very much a real thing. But, yeah, to sum it up, scary, exhausting and frustrating.
1: So in terms of, I guess, working throughout that time, obviously you're an endocrinologist, And that's all to do with the immune system. Was there any? Sorry,
0: hormones. (laughs) Close. Uh, That's immunology. So, endocrine, I'll give a little education session. We
1: haven't really explained exactly what an endocrinologist does. um,
0: An endocrine organ is an organ that creates hormones. Endo means inside. um, And our endocrine system is very complex, but essentially, it's all our hormone creating organs and almost all of our physiology is controlled by hormones so there's our pituitary and our hypothalamus that's in our brain and they control things like our thyroid our you know ovaries or testes our adrenal glands growth hormone and then there's like insulin and pancreas um and endocrinology also looks after like reproductive hormones so fertility stuff um osteoporosis so it's very broad uh but i think the broadness is what also appeals to me because i get distracted easily and so i've got lots of different organs yeah
1: it's amazing um what what are some of like the most exciting things um i guess happen within endocrinology right now and when it maybe comes to i guess medical devices or um Things that have been, I guess, discovered recently in terms yeah. of treatments and preventive treatments specifically.
0: So I guess I've got two answers. One is generally in endocrinology, what most people would say exciting and then what I find particularly exciting. So for the first part, there are you know a lot of new medications for diabetes that we've been You know, we were testing them for diabetes and then we also found, oh my goodness, there's like 30% less heart failure exacerbations and people's kidney function isn't declining and their fatty liver disease is getting better. So that was a new class of medication that didn't exist when I was at medical school. They're Amazing. called SGLT2 inhibitors um, and then improving treatments for obesity as well. Um, I think as an endocrinologist or final year endocrine registrar, I look at obesity as like a disease. And something that deserves medical treatment and support. So, you know, really um, amazing new treatments for obesity. And then in type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune condition that destroys the cells of the pancreas that make insulin, we have almost, you know, biological, like a what is it <laughs> not biological, um, um, uh, bionic pancreases. So, you know, really improving, especially for young people, rather than having to prick their fingers all the time and do multiple injections, the care for uh, type 1 diabetes is improving. So, but for me, what is really exciting and my passion is female athletes. And there is a lot of increasing research and attention to the importance of hormones, um, and the menstrual cycle for female athletes. And i have actually um, part of a company that is called Femi, and yeah. we create educational programs and um, coaching for female athletes. So, in, you know, educating the coaches, the athletes, the PE teachers of why, you know, understanding of the female hormone system and menstrual cycle is so important for both athletic performance and long-term like athletic sustainability so that's something that is really exciting for me and through social media really because i started posting a little bit on you know menstrual cycle stuff that's how i got involved in this company and that's really ended up leading my career that i will kind of specialize in this niche area called sports endocrinology
1: that's interesting you say that because i i know a few um women that who do are quite elite in their sport and it's it's something that i guess when they were younger they weren't taught about i guess how training to that level every day can really affect your hormones and like you said your menstrual cycle and even affect the level of your capability of even like having a child and there's certain things like that that i guess the lack of education was not given to them from high school onwards and then for some of them there is an issue where they're trying to now navigate like oh my goodness i'm getting to this age and i want to have a kid but we're me and my partner are struggling so is that so kind of something that you yeah, guys cover to that degree? yeah it's one part of that
0: of you know if you lose your period you're not going to be able to fall pregnant mm. but also looking at the health complications of losing your period so low estrogen that impacts your bone health your mental health your you know cardiovascular health and what you said is exactly correct about the education. I do talk sometimes, and I put up that video, and I'm going to show my age here, but can you remember the movie Mean Girls, and there's the I PE do. teacher that says, like, do not have sex, because you will fall pregnant, and you will die. And I that is satire, but it's not that far no, from the
1: truth. People literally, kids would have watched that and think, oh my God, I can't do that. Well, but...
0: I feel like that's pretty much what high school health education was, Was, how not to fall pregnant. And as if that was the only thing that as females we needed to know about our body. And even then it wasn't taught very well. And so educating women and because there's still a bit of a taboo of talking about periods and menstrual cycles. And I also in my talks, I get people to talk about the most ridiculous words we have for periods like you know auntie flow shark Week, and i'm like can we just freaking call it what it like auntie, a period auntie flow
1: auntie flow yeah As yeah like, like auntie flow has
0: arrived like i've an aunt, never heard of that you know, one i've you...
1: heard of shark week uh, and then
0: it's like what's more offensive to say period or shark <laughs> weight? like and um,
1: oh my
0: goodness so tear my eyes <laughs> um so you know taking away the stigma of like we all get like Half of the population get periods. They're required for people, like for civilization to exist. So, taking away the stigma and making their more comfortable talking topics for men and women to talk about.
1: What's so. what's one of the most one of the most common questions, I guess women would ask you um with within this company femi when you're giving your talks or if you're so
0: how to prevent losing their periods from playing sport and what to do to get your period back so really it's all from energy deficiency if you're not getting enough energy and there's increasing evidence now saying it's also carbohydrate um availability so if you're not getting enough food and especially if you're not getting enough carbohydrates um, your hypothalamus and pituitary, the part of your brain that controls the ovaries, will turn off ovulation. Mm. And that's its body protecting itself, saying, I don't want to fall pregnant right now. I'm not healthy enough to you know, maintain it, a yes. pregnancy. And so I talk about not exercising when fasted. So always eating something with a little bit of carbohydrate before exercising, even if it's half a banana. Um, then making sure you're getting enough carbohydrate and not going for too long without eating. There are some really simple things to do and you know fueling your body appropriately and especially not avoiding carbohydrates so that's something i do a lot with my talk about a lot with the athletes and also um you know bone health and osteopenia and preventing stress fractures yeah. as well
1: um we'll go on to i guess you're talking about you got into this with femi because of the content i guess that you were sharing your social media and you have a good following of uh, over thirty-three thousand. um what what do you think is some of the importance of social media and, and why did you decide to start using this? I know you've kind of touched on it a little yeah. bit earlier, but what was, I guess, the driving force for you behind getting on social media and just starting to share, I guess, all the things you've learned going through your career?
0: Yeah, so I guess I started it four years ago just after my physician exams when I was immensely burnt out to a crisp mm-hmm. um, after that, specialist exams, and... I was also completely chock-a-block full of knowledge because I just passed exams on all areas of medicine. Yeah, And I come from a non-medical family. And also I don't have, you know, most of my friends are people from primary and high school. They're not doctors. So I really saw how confusing and challenging it was to navigate the healthcare system and health information. And I wanted to try and somehow solve that in some little way, even if it was just to my friends and family. And this was when really influencer type stuff was really growing and, you know, seeing influencers post on, you know, a smoothie cleanse and adrenal fatigue and leaky gut, people with no qualifications or expertise and so much self-assurance that it's almost, you know, impressive of how, um, you know, like confident. and this was when really low carb diets and keto diets were becoming popular and I was frustrated and I also was frustrated but thought doctors need to we can't keep complaining about all of this bullshit information of the medical medium and you know etc cetera, etc cetera, if we're not going to do anything about it And it's all very well to spend heaps of money on medical research, but what's the point of doing it if it doesn't actually impact the broader community? And so I just started writing little blogs on Instagram. I look back at the ones I wrote initially and I cringe like, (laughs) oh God, my writing was so bad. Um, But I think I realized I quite enjoy medical writing Mm -hmm. and in some ways am quite skilled at explaining things in a way that is easy for people to understand. And I think that ties back to the fact that I don't have any doctors in my family or friends, so that's what I've been doing anyways, yeah. explaining things. And yeah, it just kind of grew in time and it was also an opportunity for me to write things that I was interested in. So about learning more, you know, improving my own knowledge and especially in that kind of endocrinology and female athlete space.
1: Yeah, I think it's so important for people like yourself, to doctors in particular, to to put themselves in a position where they can influence, like you said, your doctor that influences or tries to influence. Because there's just so much misinformation out there, especially over the past few years. And COVID yeah, was a good example. Was like, that was How many was
0: the, the 5G? Like COVID, was it like COVID is being spread through yeah, 5G, 5G because in places
1: <laughs> where there's loads of 5G towers that's where there's a high level of COVID cases I'm like no the population is like, more people that live my in, God. in it the city made me real- it's so funny it out, Like crazy. the people
0: who were saying this were like oh you guys are sheep for believing and you're like you're the believing the absolute ridiculous oh, it's ideas it's
1: but and again, that's why I was so it's so important for people like yourself to be there, to be a voice of reason and a voice mm. of act coming from an educational background who can say, No, 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 that's not how science works.
0: Mm. But it's interesting though, because you know, we don't have any time. So everything I do, and I did a lot during COVID.
1: Yeah, you were pretty you're pretty active. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it was
0: a way of me like helping my own anxiety. But yeah. it's not like I'm getting paid to spend, you know, two hours after work creating a no. post with, you know, Or a blog and different educational resources for people to go. So, that it's really a hobby. And I think for people wanting to do social media stuff, knowing at the end of the day, it is a hobby. Yeah. And, you know, it might lead to some career opportunities for me, um, but it is free work. Yeah. And... Unlike influencers who might be trying to make money or have a business through their social media, that's not what doctors can do. So it is hard, and we don't have any time. So that's why the influencers and the scare fear mongers are always going to have a step up on us because that's something they have that we don't, which is you know copious amounts of time.
1: Exactly. Um, so you're obviously doing some amazing things within the healthcare. You're a registrar, and you're working alongside Femi as well, but. In particular, I guess the healthcare space is somewhat a male-dominated space, and you as a woman, how has has you as a woman within the healthcare space been? Is there have there been any roadblocks? Have there been any kind of unconscious biases when you're trying to navigate your way through? And um, what has that experience been um, like?
0: It's a good question. I interestingly now medical students are fifty percent women and men. Yeah, yeah it's how definitely changed? Ever um many more female gps versus specialists and especially surgery is male dominated mm. the specialty i do endocrinology is actually quite a female i don't know what the numbers are but i think there's more women than men even so i am in a female you know friendly specialty yeah um in terms of my own experiences i've definitely had you know inappropriate Like, I look back now and realize sexual harassment. I remember when I was an intern, like, my orthopedic consultant and head of unit adding me on Facebook and sending me messages about how his partner wasn't having sex with him and if I ever needed any help with my career. And I was 24 at the time. And it was so awkward because I was like, well, this person is doing my reference and I have to see them every day. Like, I can't just block them. Yeah, And so weird. And other inappropriate, you know, comments along the years um but do i think i have had my career negatively impacted maybe if i had been wanting to be an orthopedic surgeon yeah yes maybe if i had kids um you know yes that would be something also i think and this is might come across not controversial but i also think as a female now, I fit the mold of what society wants me to be. Mm. I am pretty, I'm polite, I'm friendly, I'm not too controversial. So I'm pretty easy for people to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I think we have this expectation in society of how women should behave. And that is, you know, it's a, this is big, that would be a big topic in itself. But because I do, you know, fit the mold. Maybe that has also just mean not I haven't. Been able to not get through <laughs> yeah, quite yeah, yeah. Um, but I think definitely it's more of an issue in some specialties, and there's a lot of evidence that uh, you know women need to kind of prove their worth, where men are judged on their potential. And there are specialties that are such boys' clubs. I can remember assisting in orthopedic surgery once. So I was the only female. And they were talking about going up to Melbourne on the weekend and which strip clubs they were going to go to. And I'm just um, standing there rolling my eyes. Um, But, yeah, so there's definitely been moments like that. Do I think my career has been negatively impacted? No, but maybe if my life circumstances were different, it would have been.
1: Well, I'm glad that 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 hasn't been the case for you.
0: Yes. And... In the future, if any of your orthopedic consultants add you on Facebook, that is uh, not okay. Don't accept <laughs> and probably talk to HR, which I think I'd worked in hospitality from when I was 15. So yeah. I was so used to sexual harassment For in sure a workplace in bars, yeah. that it was like, oh, that's just kind of the norm. And I think as females, we are expected to just kind of, you know, it off. smile, shrug it off, not be like, uh, you're a complete sicko. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about as, you know, I fit the mold of I haven't complained, I've just smiled and done whatever and, you know, we're not expected, to, we don't want to offend anyone or make anyone uncomfortable. But yeah, I look back at that, and that's why I'm really passionate as well about mentoring junior doctors and especially female junior doctors because there are issues with women not mentoring junior women as much. Yeah. Um, and really trying to mentor them and teach them about what is and isn't okay in their training and what they shouldn't, should and shouldn't have to put up with.
1: Completely agree. Um, Let's go, let's have a quick touch on you're part of Movember. Ah, yes. an ambassador how did how did you end up how do you end up there so yeah. it's a pretty big organization obviously it is
0: it wasn't as big when i got involved yeah. back in uh 20 my first campaign was in 2012 so um oh that's a, yeah okay so back, that's a while yeah yeah so back then november was more like novelty checks yeah i only started in i think 20 2005 maybe um so for to cut a long story short, my dad died of cancer just before I turned three and he was a farmer and, you know, didn't go to the doctor when signs were wrong. When he did go to the doctor, the doctor said, you should have this biopsy that could be cancer. And the doctor, I know the doctor, he's a bit of a dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> small country town. Um, and my, doctor was like, my dad was like, mm, no, and carried on. And, you know, by the time he was diagnosed, he had metastatic lymphoma yeah. and uh, died, you know, within that year. And I hadn't really celebrated my dad's memory. I think in my family, it just he wasn't talked about very much. And when I was what twenty twenty one, and in Hobart, there's this big running race called Point to Pinnacle, where you start at uh, sea level at the casino and you do a half marathon all uphill to the top of Mount Wellington. So it's twenty one k's up, but like thirteen hundred meters of elevation. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so it's just a pretty solid grind, and it's like the half the elevation is in the last seven k. So. Um, it's a tough race and I had run a bit of running, but my background was actually gymnastics. So I hadn't really been an endurance runner, but I got into, I trained for it and I decided to raise money for November okay. and I actually ended up coming 19th and going quite well. Oh,
1: that's impressive. Yeah,
0: where I hadn't really done any running before and raised $5,000 for November. and I think for me and then it kind of led from there I yeah. kept raising money and then Movember asked me to be a formal ambassador um, in the first year that they had their most sisters be the formal ambassadors but for me Movember has also taught me it's not you know I've, I've raised lots of money and I've done lots of stuff about awareness for them and initially my awareness was all about like you know men get your health checked you know get your blood pressure don't miss warning signs but mm. then I think I became a doctor and my own mental health was impacted, and I actually lost a friend to suicide. And then I was all about the mental health. And then I realized actually, the same cultures that are leading men to not get their physical health checked are the same cultures that are leading men to, you know, think suicide is their only option. And that's, you know, toxic self reliance, not wanting to show vulnerability, um, not wanting to even see a doctor as someone to help them. Exactly. And so they're actually linked. So I think then I, you became and it's we divide men and women and you know women can be like this too um but yeah so that's how i got involved in november and it's helped me a lot learn about my own mental health and improve my you know, mental health first aid for myself and others and it's been quite special for me to really um honor my dad's memory
1: that's amazing and i got involved in running as well so yeah, that's hence amazing. why i'm
0: hit hair is wet this morning <laughs> because i went running and it was pouring with rain at centennial park
1: um so just to finish off what are some of your, your hopes, I guess, for the future of, of healthcare? I'm sure you could oof, probably name oof, a, a list of things, but what are some of the, the key things in your mind that you would hope changes within the healthcare space?
0: Okay. Maybe I'll do three. One, better preventative healthcare with better opportunity, especially for people from lower socioeconomic areas to access Healthy food and exercise and environments that support health rather than it being a onus of responsibility on the individual mm-hmm. one um, two medical training that allows people to be individual and celebrate some of their individuality. And that not everyone will fit into the exact same mold, but that doesn't mean they can't be an excellent doctor and encourage people to have some hobbies and passions outside of medicine and make the training not so absolutely arduous and torturous. Okay. Um, So specific. uh, Oh, yeah. Then three. Oh, what's another one? Oh, three. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, let's just stick it at two. There. Two's good, two's good. Um, but I'm oh, gonna... Three uh, park runs should be prescribed more. So. Okay, there you go.
1: Three. You got to three. And I'm actually going to ask you for three things. Oh. So <clears throat> three golden nuggets you can give to our listeners for, I guess, someone who's trying to have a career somewhat similar to yours, maybe go to medical school, become a registrar yeah. in whatever specialty that they choose what do you think so one know?
0: you were capable of so much more than you realize I never in a million years would have dreamed I could have become a doctor and then when I got into medicine I was like oh I'll do general practice then I was like oh maybe I could do specialist training and I've realized actually I'm capable of anything it's just how much effort and hard work I'm prepared to put in mm-hmm. so I think we sell ourselves short because that's especially women, society makes us feel that's a safer option or makes us feel like believing in ourselves is a bit arrogant. Mm-hmm. But knowing you actually are capable and you deserve to be there and you, you know, own that, so one. Um, another one, to someone wanting to do medicine and um, keeping, you know, it's stressful and it's exhausting and looking after yourself and ensuring that you've got sustainability in your career And having hobbies and a life outside of medicine is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, And then three mentors. I think having good mentors. I personally had some excellent mentors who I still call up, even though I haven't worked with them for you know five, ten years. um, Is really beneficial for yourself and your career, and you know. I don't think mentors happen through formally looking for a mentor. They happen by accident. And I mentor a few junior doctors or medical students now, and that gives me a lot. Um, so, yeah. So, I think, yeah, having a good support network and some professional mentors.
1: Amazing. <laughs> well, that is us for today's episode of HPG Engage. Again, thank you very much, Dr. Izzy, for taking the time on your day off to sit down with us and um giving us some absolute amazing golden nuggets of information i'm sure everyone listening here has learned so much
0: even if it's just how to pronounce endocrinology even if it's just that
1: (laughs) which i learned like yesterday to do it properly but uh again thank you very much for your time
0: you're so welcome thanks duane